Today, uh, I'm here with Camille Kelly. Camille is 47. She was born in Park Slope, Brooklyn. Uh, she, her current job is she's a DEI consultant and trainer and now lives on the Upper, West, Upper East Side with uh, her husband, Anton, and two rambunctious boys, Reese, who's 11, and Tristan, who is nine. Uh, did I miss anything, Camille? That's me. All right. I'm also here with Carl Johnson. Carl is 50 years old. He was born in New York, New York. <laughs> he is a division director of transformative mentoring services at the Children's Village. Carl lives with his wife, uh, Jessica, and new baby boy, Jacob, 17 months old. And, uh, and, and they live in, in Brooklyn. Yes. All right. Did I miss anything for there, Carl? No, no. All right. That's All right. Well, thank you both so much for talking to me today. The, the topic of the conversation, it, it actually originated from a conversation that, that Camille and I had um, a while ago, and I'll get to that in a minute. But I think that what it's really about is what I'm titling the emotional impact of gentrification. I think when we talk about gentrification, we often talk about things economic impact. We talk about things like increase in rent and displacement. Um, we talk about investment in commercial real estate, property development. We talk about uh, an influx of, of money from local government going towards private industry to support private businesses as opposed to community-run organizations and community-driven projects or public services. So in a heavy investment in private. But we don't talk about is, you know, what is the emotional consequences uh, for the people who have, who are from this community yeah. and have experienced these transitions as well. So that's our topic for today. I, I want to mention, so to talk about that conversation that Camille and I had, it was a couple years ago. And I, and, and I knew that Camille was from Brooklyn, was born in Brooklyn, raised in Brooklyn, went to school at Brooklyn Tech. That's right, Camille? I sure did. And I asked her how she felt about Brooklyn. So, and, I, and I'll let you go from the, you. Do you remember what she said? Depends <laughs> on what part of the night this was, but I can imagine what I said. Um, it's, it's been, so I, I lived in Brooklyn, obviously, until I went to college. And then once I came back from college, I lived in Brooklyn for, when did I leave? 2001 is when I left Brooklyn. And same block, you know, I, my life was spent, the majority of my formative life was spent on that block, you know, with Carl um, on South Portland. And it's important to understand that even when I moved to the block, you know, Carl had been there for a while before me, but Fort Greene in and of itself was this like, I was there in the eighties. So, you know, Fort Greene was, you know, equivalent with, you, you had a beautiful historic home. Our block is a historic block. But let's be clear, the building next to me was a crack house. Like it was a, it was a crack house. It was not like, a, oh no, that's just like there are a couple of crackheads. Like it was a crack house. So like, you know, and not to say that that is any type of like street cred or anything, but it's just important to understand what, what, seeing the change from living next to a crack house into the 90s Fort Greene, which was like 
seemingly the magnet for all of this wonderful transformation of now all of a sudden like Fort Greene and Clinton Hill were like the coolest places to live and like the coolest places to hang out. And we had wonderful bars and restaurants that were popping up that we were like, oh shit, there's more than that one Italian place down DeKalb. There's one in one more place than Come Cow on, on Myrtle. Like that was what we had was like, you know, a couple of spots. Now all of a sudden it was like a new restaurant like every other day. And I mentioned to you when we brought up the topic, like after watching the Biggie documentary, what you also see in that is this pride in our neighborhood that we didn't necessarily have in the 80s in the sense of like, Fort Greene is awesome. Like we were, and my father repeats this constantly because he, whenever the news would cover things that happened in Brooklyn, it was like coming from the bowels of Brooklyn. Like it was like this horrible, like <laughs> scary place that like no one would ever want to live. And I was, when I moved to the block, I was 11 and I was going to school at a private school. I went to St. Anne's before I went to tech. So I'm going to school with these kids who live in, in Brooklyn Heights and like live in these like multi-million dollar homes. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, where do you live? <laughs> like I live in Fort Greene. <laughs> How do you get here? <laughs> like, you know, so it was like, so seeing and being a part and living in Fort Greene during that transformation from like this horrible embarrassing you know otherwise embarrassing. it wasn't embarrassing for us because we knew we lived in beautiful brownstones and we had you know a great family we and our block i think of as this welcoming network like i have i developed the best friendships of my life for, with people on that block that looked out for each other ralph got my brother's bike back when it was stolen like it was a neighborhood it was people who looked out for each other. And I don't think our block was unique in that. It was just that it was our block. But that's what I loved about living in Brooklyn. And after I left Brooklyn and came back, you know, what? I never stopped coming back to Fort Greene because even after my parents sold the brownstone, my mother moved to Clinton Hill. So I was still in the neighborhood. But going back to Fort Greene, it just kept changing, kept changing, kept changing, kept changing. And the feeling that I got and the looks that I got from people on my block that I was like, I'm not expecting to know everybody that's still there today. But like the last time I distinctly remember the last time I walked down for the South Portland to go to the park for something. It, it was, I was walking with Garfield and my kids uh -huh. and we were going to see somebody do poetry in the, in the park. And the looks I was getting of like, you know, like, I've never seen them before until I, and the Carl, mm. I forget the woman's name, but you know, the African woman who lives in the oh, house. Josephine. She ran out to me, baby, baby. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, thank God. <laughs> I feel like they were going to like call the cops. Like, what is she doing on the block? But it's just a very, I never felt that. And that's what makes me, uninterested in going and hanging out Fort Greene. Like I mm -hmm. think of Fort Greene as, as like a hug. You know, I think of Fort Greene as my home 
and whether I live there or not, I, I know that I, every time I go anywhere near there, I always stop in and see Ralph. I always inevitably at some point will run into Alex at some point, you know, whether it's at the beginning of my time there, or the end of my time there, yeah, he'll yeah. be like, Oh, you just missed them. Or he'll be back in a minute. And I'll see Sasha. And like, I will still get that same feeling from those people, but the people around are just like, it just doesn't feel what I'm like, what I'm used to, which was again, this, this welcoming feeling of being in Brooklyn and from Brooklyn. You talked about so many interesting things, including like a timeline that, that I want to dig into more kind of like the evolution of the neighborhood from the eighties to the nineties and up to the two thousands. That's a really interesting point that I, I'd want to circle back to at some point, but I also want to hear from Carl and Carl to, to hear your kind of experiences growing up as well as living there now. Well, my parents, we moved from Crown Heights to South Portland in 1972. That's when my parents bought the house. Um, you know, I was two years old. Um, there was like a brothel across the street. My brother used to tell me, you know, Fort Greene was rough. Yeah. You know, Brooklyn was rough back then. It's just like if you were for, from Fort Greene, you stay in Fort Greene. You don't go to bed if you don't know anybody or have family. It's funny the way like the public today sees Fort Greene and Clinton Hill. That's how it was always for me. Beautiful. We I had a park. We had a park right down the street from us. You know, a beautiful park. Ton of parks to play. We skateboarded all over the neighborhood, riding bikes. We played in the street. Yeah. Like Camille, you're at, we had a community. We would be playing football, boys yeah. and girls <laughs> together, yeah. you know, hanging out, watching out for each other for hours and hours. Go home, get something to eat, something to drink, come back out. But um, it was it was family. You know, it, it's interesting because um, like the 70s and 80s, like I swam. My pa- I went to private school. I went to Packer in Brooklyn mm-hmm. Heights. I swam. I started off in an all-black swim team um, in Bed-Stuy, Trotz Finman. Then my parents switched me to another team in Manhattan, Gotham Aqua Kings. Mm-hmm. And so I'm swimming competitively, all white. My school is all white. But when I would come back to Fort Greene, it was home. I felt safe. You know, it was just a a warm blanket. Regardless of what was going around, who was hustling, kids were getting robbed. You know, I remember I got robbed. And my babysitter, Wanda, she went and got my my Atari (laughs) cartridge back. You know, she was like, what? You robbed my brother? Boom. You know, so, it, I mean, it was like that. People yeah. just looked at, looked out for one another. But it felt safe. And then the 80s, like, I've only spent four years away from Brooklyn. And that was UMass. UMass. That was it. Yeah. Year after year, just, you know, watching this, this change, like new faces popping up. Mm-hmm. Buildings being restored. And it felt like all of a sudden this wasn't ours anymore. This wasn't right. mine. Like, right. Right. oh, all of these changes 
are for those transitioning into to the neighborhood and the community. Yep. And I started to get those looks. Mm-hmm. Like, who are you? Right. Who do you know on South Portland Avenue? You know, like, wh- why are you walking down this block or mm-hmm. sitting in front of this stoop? Mm-hmm. It was hurtful. Mm. I got angry mm-hmm. because it was just like, now all of a sudden Fort Greene and Clinton Hills on the map. Mm-hmm. Whole world, the world's yeah. talking about Brooklyn now. Yeah. Brooklyn has always been dope. Fort mm. Greene has always been dope. These beautiful brownstones, even when they were crack houses, original <laughs> molding. <laughs> they were very nice crack houses. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just like there was value. Mm, yeah. you know? And not just value ec- economically, just value in in the essence of this community mm, yeah. and what it represented. It was a multi-pot. My father mm-hmm. used to tell me everybody lived in this area. Mm, there yeah. were artists, mm-hmm. actors, musicians, the black, white, mm-hmm. gay, lesbian, mm-hmm. transgender, like the whole community world was here. Right. Yeah. I, and I think that like you talk, you both talk about like an essence and I, and I think that in many ways, that essence has been commodified, mm-hmm. right? Like it's, mm-hmm. been, it's, been, it's been commodified to a product, mm-hmm. to, to a, a specific type of like aesthetic that mm-hmm. has then been sold, not just back to Brooklyn, which is crazy and ironic in some ways, but globally. Yeah. And, and, and I can only imagine yeah. like for you guys who, who that essence you know, it's almost like to have something stolen from you in some way. It's, it's gone. I mean, yeah, it, well, that's probably, and like I said, without remembering the exact details of what I said to you, I know my sentiment is, hasn't changed of just like, it's, it is frustrating. It is angering of like, you, you how said, dare you? You said you hated it. You said you hated it. Well, that's fair. It was very <laughs> I know that's, that's where you were. Did, and so one time, I think Mikhail was still living in Brooklyn. She was in Bed-Stuy. And she was like, come, there's a new bar that's just open. Cause it was like every other day, there's a new bar that just opened on decal. Come, you know, meet us there. And it, Anton and I had driven up from Philly. So we were going to be there for the weekend. She said, we'll meet at this spot and we'll go to the other spot later. So we go in, she's like, oh, it's this actor. He just opened this new place. And we're like, all right, go in and the guy's like going around making his rounds, saying hello to everybody. And he's like, oh, okay, so where'd you guys come in from? And I was like, oh, well, we, dro- we just drove up from Philly. He's like, oh, is this your first time in Brooklyn? And I was like, no, no, it's not. And immediately, like, as he says this, McKay's head just goes down. She's like, oh, here we go. Mm. And, he, and he's like, well, let me just be the first to welcome you to Brooklyn. I was like, Mm-mm. nope, no, no, sir. I was like, I'm sorry, are you from Brooklyn? And he was like, no, I'm actually from wherever he's from. And I was like, right. So I grew up on South Portland. I was born at Methodist. So no need for the welcome. (laughs) You can allow me to welcome you to Brooklyn, to my neighborhood. (laughs) Because I was on like Carlton and like decal. But I was like, this isn't even like, I'm not even talking about like Clinton Hill. Like you're still in Fort Greene. So I can definitely welcome you here. Mm -hmm. But I was like, see, this is what, this is why I don't like going out here. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It gets my blood pressure Mm -hmm. up. (laughs) Right. Right. That must be really frustrating. 
It well, it is because I think, like I said, watching the the documentary with Biggie was like, even when he died, right? Everyone remembers when he died and that procession back into Brooklyn. For us, I'm sure that wasn't surprising at all. Like, because no. he was like this this kind of hero of being able to pull, especially our neighborhood, onto the map. Because again, as much as he claimed Bed-Stuy and we know he was from Clinton Hill, mm-hmm. whatever, like that was the, the most kind of, aside from Spike Lee, who also was from Fort Greene and made our right. area like popular, that was the, the most, you know, credibility and, and acknowledgement that we had been getting. So mm-hmm. seeing that big, that love that he got when he died was like, of course, mm-hmm. of course, of course, whether you were a huge Biggie fan or not, it was like he did, you know, he brought a lot of attention to, again, what Carl said of like what we always knew. Right. This is a great place to hang out. This is a great place to live. Like I said to my dad when I graduated and all of a sudden, you know, so Carl, when you, you graduated before me and you had seen, you know, the Sean's and DeVita's in the neighborhood already, when I came home, I was like, where did where did UMass come from? Like all of a sudden, <laughs> there UMass was a is in UMass contingent right dead smack. <laughs> I mean, Sean, Kimya, and NJ were living right. together in Biggie's building. Mm. I was just like, oh, I was like, yo, right. everybody was, everyone flocked to New York. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was a handful right here. And how did right. you feel about that at that time? I was, I thought it was dope. Personally, because yeah, yeah. I, I was like, like this no is like surprise. a continuation of college, right? right. <laughs> so well, it was just more fun. Yeah. Even yeah. Yvette, Yvette moved like yeah, after Yvette. college, she moved to Washington. Like everybody was in the neighborhood, so it was like this is great. Yeah, you know. But I remember when I had my Brooklyn hat, the the Spike Lee Brooklyn hat up at UMass. It was like there weren't many other people (laughs) (laughs) so i was like i didn't know so many people were from brooklyn oh no no no! i'm not from brooklyn Mm. oh okay Mm. oh well then welcome (laughs) (laughs) yeah carl i remember one time you and i were talking about this and there was a conversation we had about flip-flops do you Mm. do you remember that carl Yes. And yes. I've always, can you, can you kind of retell your, your, your feelings about flip-flops? Well, you know, like flip-flops were always meant for the beach, <laughs> the pool, but definitely not strolling down DeKalb or Fulton Street. God, no. You don't you know, know what you're going to step on. You don't know what you're going to step <laughs> on. And you can't run in flip-flops. You, you can't really square off in flip-flops. I mean, you're going to get handled if you got flip-flops on, put it that way, you know? And it was something that I had never seen, like, just people casually strolling with flip-flops on a 70-degree day. Mm. Um, I remember Sean, when Sean had moved down here, and, you know, he would come by my crib, and I had, like, sandals. Sandals, they were different than flip-flops. But um, he was like, yo, yo, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get some sandals. But he got flip-flops, and he was walking down to Cab Avenue. I told him, one, don't ever do that again. I gave park. him a pair of shoes. I was like, you can't you, – that's embarrassing. Mm, and you're coming yeah. to my crib? Mm. It's just like <laughs> you're putting us on blast. <laughs> you know, so he walked from St. James down to Cal in the $1.99 cent. <laughs> 
flip-flops. Mm. And it's it's interesting because guess what? That whole that gentrification process had started. You yep. know, they were trickling in. You know, mm-hmm. they were trickling in and 60 degrees wearing shorts. Yep. You know, all of a sudden streets are getting cleaned up, new mm-hmm. stop signs, new a traffic new lights, new playground. Mm-hmm. Like the playground in Fort Green Park, I remember. It's just like it was broken bottles. Thank you. It was empty crack vials, mm-hmm. smelled like urine. Mm-hmm. We still played in it. You just needed yeah. to know where to stay away from, you know, how to maneuver mm-hmm. to yeah. this this gorgeous playground for, for, for toddlers. Mm-hmm. You know, you Camille, know? Camille, you mentioned earlier street cred, you know, yeah. and, and I think that, like, that's something that is real for people in the sense that, like, if you lived in a community where you had to navigate, and I think Carl was speaking about that, about the flip-flops, mm-hmm. like, you had to navigate a certain amount of uncertainty, to say the least. <laughs> yeah, th- th- there's a certain amount of pride, I think, that comes with that ability. That's a skill. That is a, a, a talent that not everybody has. And so then to sort of um, give that up to where now people are comfortably strolling down the street in flip-flops is yeah. also something that's real for people, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's certain things that we knew that watching people do was unnerving. Right. So like we knew and especially girls, because me and McKay were the only girls really on the block. Like it was us and like six guys. But there were certain things that we knew, like you didn't walk on the park side of DeKalb Avenue. Like as as soon as you hit Washington Park, you cross the street. Like exactly. for us, that was where we, that's where we lived anyway. But you definitely, me and Mikaela had to go there every morning to catch the bus. And that was the only time, that was the only part of decal on that side of the street that you would ever catch us on. Because as well lit as Fort Green Park is right now, those lights at the entrance mm-hmm. were broken out every time right. they were replaced. Every yeah. time, because... People would call the pizza people to come and make deliveries to Spike Lee's building, knowing that they were not getting any type of pizza. And they would rob the pizza dude every night because we would sit in front of McKay's stoop. She was right at the corner and watch the pizza. dude. We were like, don't get off the bike, money. Don't get off. The- All right. <laughs> and then he would go up the steps. As soon as he would go, they would grab his bike and be in the park. And that was it. Once you disappeared into the park, that was it. The cops didn't even go in. They didn't bother to look for you. People on our block got mugged constantly, especially because our block was a direct line into the park. And again, the lights were out. So once you hit the other side of the street, you could be gone. You could be anywhere in Brooklyn once you got into the park. So that part of like those things, like Carl's talking about flip flops, I felt the same way about headphones. Mm. Like wearing headphones at right. nighttime, like right. watching right. young white right. women right. walking around right. Fort Green with headphones right. on. I was like, girl, right. you're going to get killed That's right. That's right. tonight. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> what are you, do you see she's jogging? It's right. 10 o'clock. Right. You want to get inside. Like those, the, I mean, street cred or not, there were just certain things that like we grew up having so instilled by you know, by practice, McKay's bike got st- stolen 
from in front of my house, in front of her. Like, it wasn't like she came inside with me. I had, because Carl knows, I was the one who always had to ask to do anything. I had to ask to leave the block. So, like, if we wanted to go get ice cream or go do anything, I had to ask. So I had to go back upstairs and ask my dad if we could go wherever we were going to go. And the time it took me to enter my house and go up three flights of stairs, they had stolen her bike. Mm. And she ended up getting into a car with one of our neighbors who was like, we can catch him, hop in. <laughs> and then McKay is gone. So it it, st- it started this whole like, <laughs> like <laughs> Triborough, like search for McKay because <laughs> she went to go look for her, her bike in a car with Ernie. So it was like, you know. Ernie, oh, right. Ernie like, was a DJ. Yeah. Ernie was a DJ who I can only, I thought of this for tonight, for today's discussion. If, it, if Ernie were around today, Ernie was a DJ on, on Kiss. Kiss yes. FM, and mm. he used to make, DJ, he would give us his, his mixtapes. He was a great DJ. Mm. And he was on the third floor of 28 on our block. Mm-hmm. And he would open his windows and he would blast his music out the window. We loved it. Mm-hmm. But I could only imagine, like, what if Ernie were still on the block? Mm. And what if Ernie decided to, like, open his windows and play his music today? Mm-hmm. He'd be arrested, mm. like, every yeah. day. Because mm-hmm. the amount day. of times that I saw, or Ralph has told me that he's been called the cops on, like, mm-hmm. I'm like, that was what made it fun. Like, mm-hmm. that was what, yeah, and I'm sure, you know, there were definitely people on our block who I'm sure did not appreciate that music. Mm-hmm. But... It was still like it wasn't disrespectful. It wasn't at like two o'clock in the morning, but it was meant to for him, you know, to continue to work on his craft. But, you know, for us, it was like we have a free session with a DJ happening every day. (laughs) So those things I miss. But the, the, the thing that I definitely recognize is it took a while for me to transition out of the the old mentality of like, you're going to get killed if you have headphones on, you don't walk on that side of Fort Greene Park. And even I sat on a stoop with Debony recently, and she lives on Washington Park, right at the split, like right before after the split. So I did not realize (laughs) that you are not allowed to grill on the Willoughby Mm -hmm. to decal side. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I did not know that. I didn't know that was a thing. Mm -hmm. Because my thing was like, first of all, who came up with that? Mm -hmm. I know the answer to that. Mm -hmm. But second of all, who's policing it? Mm -hmm. Like, who's going to be like, oh, no, you Mm -hmm. have to take that grill over to the Willoughby Mm -hmm. side. Mm -hmm. And then you can grill. Mm -hmm. And then I'm like, how is that not like so blatantly racist and so blatantly like, yeah overt in your distinction of what you think to be appropriate on the that's Willoughby right. to Myrtle side that's and right. not appropriate on the Willoughby to decal side. That's right. yeah, that's like right. you can only have cold food on that side, but you that's can right. totally have a full, full day party with a grill over on that side. Like that, how does that happen? That's a real thing across the country that grilling is a real economic divider in public parks there was even that right. in, in oakland where like oh the, yeah that barbecue <laughs> becky like called right. somebody <laughs> called the police yeah, they're grilling. grilling yeah <laughs> but at Fort green park that was that was just what people did mm. for birthday parties like there was never a distinction of like oh but you have to take the grill to that side of the park in order for you not to get what and i was like what a ticket mm. she was like yeah no people get like the cops called they have to move their whole thing put it out mm. And that 
again, that concept of like, now we're going to tell you where you can and can't do things in this park is like, come on. You know, unfortunately, like with gentrification into, you know, Fort Greene, Clinton Hill, it was organized. Mm -hmm. It is organized. So all these new ordinances and rules are in place without the longstanding residents coming aware. We go to the park, right. we grill. Oh, well, Shawnee's birthday. Okay, we'll be in the park. Everyone shows up. But now we show up in the park and you can't grill right. here anymore. Well, I didn't get the memo. Like, <laughs> right. who, who decided this? That's right. right. You know, who decided this? And who is this really for? Um, that's right. Yeah, that's right. It, you know, it's pretty incredible. Like, my, my little dude, my, my son, mm. and in the stroller, walking, and everything is just nostalgic. Everything is just like, yo, I grew up on these streets. That's right. <laughs> now I'm here with the next generation. But I go into the park, and I remember seeing kids that look like me. Mm-hmm. I don't see many kids that look like him. Mm. Yeah. You know, a lot more than there's definitely more diversity. Mm. Yeah. You know, which I'm grateful for. I'm like, I grew up, New York City is diverse. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like, I grew up within diversity. I, I love that fact of that education that, mm-hmm. you know, I received so early yeah. in my environment. But, um, you know, there's still a little sadness when I'm strolling with him. And it's just like, to see the strength in our community back then, even though there were haves and have-nots, we mm-hmm. were still all one. Yeah. To see a group of black boys playing together, mm-hmm. you know, how powerful is that? Yeah. Not fighting, yeah, arguing, but <laughs> playing stoop ball, playing tennis, Football. you know, in the middle yeah. of the street. There were no black nannies. Mm-mm. You know, there were no nannies. It was just mothers or family members just walking the streets with their kids. Mm-hmm. And, you know, mm-hmm. now it's it's something he won't experience. How do you feel about that? And what do you hope for him? I'm glad you segued to that because I want to get to that too with you, Camille, as well. But mm-hmm. what we, Carl, you're choosing to, right, for the moment, raise him. He's only he's not two yet, but raise him in Brooklyn. And what do you, what do you, how do you feel about that? And what are your sort of aspirations and thoughts around that as being a dad now? I'm going to have to take him to some other areas. Let's put it that way. It's just like, we're going to have to do some traveling. Mm, you're going to have know? to find that area now. Like that's like yeah. Brownsville. Like what's <laughs> left? <laughs> you know, I love Brooklyn. I love Fort Greene and I love Clinton Hill and I'm grateful still to be here. I don't know how long we'll be here. Because half of my family is still in Dominican Republic. And once they're here, we got to find some viable economic options. Yeah. But just for now, I do my best just to quell my resentments, find gratitude that I'm still here and we're still going to have this time where I walked the streets, where I skateboarded, the history of the, ha- the, the homes here and the community past, I can share with him. I can play in the parks with him. 
sit on the benches that I sat on with my father, with my friends, and I can tell him these stories. I could share these stories with him. We can travel through Brooklyn to other communities and we can talk about gentrification. Mm -hmm. He can Mm -hmm. get this education early Mm -hmm. because my parents talked about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They talked about it, but you know, I wasn't really, I wasn't listening. Mm -hmm. They had me so busy and preoccupied and, and athletics and just, but they knew Mm -hmm. that this was going to happen. Mm, I'm grateful that my mother's still on South Portland. We still Mm -hmm. own the house. I think we are the only black family that still owns a building on that block. Yeah. Yeah. The original, Mm -hmm. you know, from the seventies, no one, everyone there is nineties and, and, and ladder. It's tough because I still feel like some moments I don't feel like I belong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Walking down the cab, walking down Lafayette, and I'm just looking around, and it's almost like I don't feel safe. Right. Camille, what about you? How are you feeling about as a mom now with your kids and, mm-hmm. and, their, and their relationship to your childhood and mm-hmm. their relationship to Brooklyn in, in general? So... My kids have my my move back to New York, particularly to live up here and not in Brooklyn, was very intentional, mainly because of proximity to the hospital, because I want it was really important for us to be able to not have Anton be in a place that was too far from the hospital. But we want because our kids were so small, we moved here. And also just because we couldn't afford to live in Brooklyn, which the concept of that was like, what? That's insane. Like, I, I, it's cheaper for me to live on the Upper East Side. Like, I needed a full moment to digest that. Of it's cheaper for me to live in a two-bedroom apartment on the Upper East Side than it is in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. How? After I got past that. And then also <laughs> with the knowledge of, The thing that is we haven't touched on that is really important to me about what I think frustrates me the most about the gentrification is that the other thing that I had to consider, which I never did before, was the schools. And unfortunately, the schools in Fort Greene haven't, elementary schools, haven't improved that vastly. That I wasn't going to have to think to myself, if, okay, let's say I move back into Fort Greene, now I got to put them in private school. Mm. Or now I'm going to have to put them in charter school. Because mm. I don't have any faith in the elementary school, the public elementary schools in Brooklyn, or not, I should say in all of Brooklyn, in Fort Greene. So my thought around the gentrification effects, I haven't seen that same halo effect of the gentrification on schools. I've seen Apple stores open. I've seen Whole Foods open. I've seen any number of organic stores open. But yet it seems like it takes this inordinate amount of time for the education system to improve as a direct result of this gentrification. You've raised the rent so much. I would imagine some of that money should be trickling into the the schools. But yet I haven't seen that they've made some type of vast like 180 from when the threat for us was like, you're going to boys and girls. That was, <laughs> that was our zone school. <laughs> like you don't do well, you're going to boys and girls. Right. So, you know, that 
that is also something that was very important in, in the decision about where we lived and Brooklyn in and of itself. So again, cheaper rent on the Upper East Side and these schools are awesome, at least up until middle school. Like, and that's what we've focused on. Like we will be up here until we're done with middle school. After that, we can move wherever we want. And we very well might move back to Brooklyn. But until we are not, you know, we're, we're just delaying that check as long as possible. Like if this is free and this is good, that's where I'm gonna go. But that part of it is what I think about. But it also was, it came with the knowledge that they're, my children are going to be more than likely the only black children in their class. And they have been. And my youngest son, God bless him. And I, I do take pride in the fact that he loves pointing out that he is the only black child in the class. <laughs> so he so last year when they were trying to like keep kids nerves calm as we were starting the pandemic, they would always start class with like some nice music. And they kept like for a while, I guess to them, the most common music in the world is obviously Bob Marley. Mm. So they kept playing Bob Marley. And Tristan, at a certain point, I think, just was like, enough. I'm the only Jamaican on this phone call. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I heard him say that. <laughs> I, was I, love like, it. Oh. I was so, I mean, I was happy. But I was like, Tristan, he was like, I am. I was like, no, 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 I know. I know. <laughs> so it has required, to Carl's point, it has required us to be very intentional about making sure that they have other black friends or spend time with their relatives because they are not spending a lot of time mm -hmm. with other black kids in their school. They're not. I appreciate the fact that that hasn't become a problem. It hasn't been like nobody's playing with them because they're not white, but it is very, we have had to be very intentional about making sure that they do have other friends that are, because there just might be things they want to talk to them about. You know, do they just want to be able to have that experience? Carl and I went to private school and yes, there were always, you know, a smattering of black kids in our class, but we never were the majority of the class. Let them call it Maximum five mm. per grade, you know, <laughs> but that's what it was, you know, yeah, Packers, St. Anne's, true. friends, all of yeah. us, we, friends probably had more, but yeah, for the most them. part, it was like, there were a couple of us mm. and that's it. So the parenting part has been the most difficult, the, the mm. knowledge and, and coming to peace with like Brooklyn isn't as welcoming to me. I haven't shunned it in the sense of like, it's not my home. Like anyone will tell, like anytime there's anything Brooklyn related, I'm like, I'll do it. Mm. That's me, that's Brooklyn, mm. I'll do that. Mm. But it has definitely made me not feel, I avoid it to not feel shunned by it, to avoid mm. the feeling of rejection <laughs> because my kids have grown up spending time in Brooklyn, but in Park Slope. Mm -hmm. and. You know, Park Slope hasn't changed. Mm. I, I was born in Park Slope. Park Slope's always been like that. Right. Park Slope has always been a mix, but mostly white, mm. you know, right. mostly white. Mm -hmm. So that's never changed. Even our block in the midst, in the 80s, when I moved there, there's still our block, I would say, was at least 30% white, mm. if not 40% white. Mm. Like there, especially of, I mean, especially of the owners of the buildings, but yeah. As time evolved, you know, it definitely did fluctuate a bit, but there always were, you know, white people on our block, <clears throat> you know, Sasha's mom, you know, and yeah. Sasha's dad owned the crack house. Yeah. So like there were always 
as much as it was, you know, kids wise, it was us. And for my parents being an interracial couple, it was a, a different feeling than like all black. It wasn't, I don't think, I don't even think Fort Greene was like all black. It was diverse in the sense of like, you would see white homeowners and black homeowners, but it never, to Carl's point, it never felt like it was like, oh, well, you've got a better house than I do or, you know, whatever. So it's important to to just be cognizant and talk to, I talk to my kids about it because as you can see, Tristan's quite aware right. of, you know, differences. And like, why don't we live in Brooklyn? Reese makes fun of me about like how much I love Brooklyn and Biggie and, mm-hmm. and it's like, you're, you, why don't you live there? Why don't you, why don't you just go back and live there? Like, cause I can't afford it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, can't afford it. <laughs> I can't live in my old house anymore, but that is difficult. But their, their sense of Brooklyn is park slope, which I'm like, that's like Brooklyn light. That's mm-hmm. not, that's, I mean, and I'm like, honestly, like th- that probably is more reflective of Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. My brother lives in Fort Greene again. And I'm like, and I think about it and I'm like, how does he feel? But Ian was always kind of like in the stars anyway. He never really, he didn't, he was young. He, my brother's nine years older, younger than me. So he didn't play with us. Like on the block, there was like a big gap. There were like kids Carl's age, then kids me and Kay's age. And then there were like nothing. There were like no other kids. So he didn't really have other kids his age on the block. So his feeling about Fort Green is not nearly the same. This is this has been wonderful and really informative in so many ways. Part of what I'm feeling is it's like uh, some of this experience is you know th- there's that and and the the feelings that 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 you guys have and and probably lots of other people who grew up in Brooklyn share in some ways like there's not much that can be done about that like it almost feels like yeah. in some ways like what 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 you've experienced is irreparable in some ways. However, like if, if there, you did have a message for listeners who are new to Brooklyn, what would, what would that message be about your experience? What would you say to them? Carl, you want to start? That's a good question. Cause, um, <laughs> no, I'm thinking, I'm just thinking it's, it's like, you keep mentioning Biggie, you know, I was watching the documentary too. And, um, love, Mm-hmm. It was love back then. Mm-hmm. Didn't matter where you were from, what you had, what economic plateau you landed yeah. on. It was love. Brooklyn was was straight love. Even if you got into something, because I played ball in Brooklyn, in the parks, mm-hmm. in Rothschild, Fort Green Projects, Bernard King's Court, Clavers, that's in Bed-Stuy. We used to play over there. <laughs> Um, I play Hoop Connection. So, and it was like wherever we went, wherever we traveled, skateboard, basketball team, just to meet up with other friends on the block, it was just all love. Even the the cats from the projects, they were like, where do you live? South Portland. <laughs> they were like, oh, y'all got a little money. You are living there. <laughs> <laughs> live in a house, you know, it's just like some big houses over there because that's they used to come over and try and rob kids on this side. But we would all connect on the ball court. You know, we'll all connect playing ball, skateboarding, cats smoking L's, drinking 40s. It's just like wherever you landed, 
it was still love. The older, <laughs> the older fellas, they looked out for the younger ones. Yo, shorty, come over here. Mm-hmm. One to smoke. Nah, this ain't for you. Mm. You know, nah, leave that man alone. He's all right. Because yeah. for me, it's funny. Later, I found out they all knew I swam. They're like, he's doing something different. Right. Don't touch him. Mm-hmm. Don't touch him. He's not playing ball. He's swimming. He's into the, some water polo thing. It's just like, they're like, we know he goes to private school because he sounds different. He speaks different than we do, but he's from here. He's Brooklyn. He's Fort Greene. Leave him alone. He's on some next shit, mm-hmm. you know, and he's rising. And it's like, I always got props for that because I was doing something different, Yeah, you know, excelling and you know, there was respect. There was always that respect. So love and respect, mm-hmm. because that's what I don't feel is here mm-hmm. anymore. That love, but that respect mm-hmm. is yeah. missing in this yeah. community. I would, just to build on the, the your last two points, Carl, I think that's exactly what my advice would be of just like, I just don't want, I don't like the feeling that I get from the people who... I encounter in my times in in Brooklyn where it seems as though they found this dope one bedroom floor of a brownstone and, you know, feel like this is their neighborhood. I'm not saying that I need like a crown or like that I need to be bowed to. I think it's important that people as they move into any neighborhood, any new environment, just do some research about it, like get to know something about it before you feel the need to just paint over everything of like, you need, this needs a fresh coat. You have no idea how those, that, that bump got there. You have no idea why that door is missing before you make these like sweeping changes to a neighborhood that is clearly so loved and has so much history. It's like, just do us a favor and do some research on the neighborhood like our block is a historic block it's part of the brooklyn tours every year yeah so it's not because you know it's not only because god knows every year that that day of the brooklyn tours was like the funniest like <laughs> down south portland with, and it was always a bunch of white people so it always was like let's go into brooklyn and see these houses <laughs> and our block was always on it but it was like i always We laughed about it, but I was like, I respect the fact that people were hearing about they did this tour for such a long time. I actually would love to take it because I'd love to hear their perspective. Like, I feel like I have a history of of that neighborhood that is my own, but I'd love to hear more of the actual history behind it because those those brownstones are beautiful. The neighborhood is beautiful. I just hate the thing that also just irks me is just the the landscape looking so different, like with these these high rises of like, oh, this is looking more and more like Times Square, which again, Times Square used to be cool, funky, like nasty, but like it didn't have like an M&M store. Like, no, that's supposed to be a triple X theater. So like, you know, that's what I would really say to people who move into the neighborhood is like, just before you, you know, put your crown on, just take a minute, you know, and don't, and that was the thing that we didn't do in Brooklyn. We didn't see somebody from Brownsville come into our neighborhood and be like, get out, this is ours. Mm -hmm. Like, it was just, 
it's a welcoming neighborhood. The, this new feeling of like, I have, this is mine and you have to get out. It's like, that's not what it, that's not what that neighborhood's about. That's not what the people who made it to the point that it was attractive to you exactly. <laughs> ever felt. It, it, it wouldn't have, you wouldn't be there if there wasn't this generation of beauty and pride in the neighborhood. Actually, so. we welcomed you. <laughs> right. you know, we yeah. welcomed you. Yeah. But in turn, it was it wasn't about being welcome. It's like this is ours. Yeah. And we're making yeah. it for us. Yep. You know, we're changing the zoning. We're changing the names of streets. You know, it's like we're yeah. pushing Clinton Hill so far back so we can keep rents at two thousand dollars a month for a bathroom yeah. and a mm -hmm. toilet. You know, <laughs> self determination. Um, yeah, it, that's all like that is I don't need I don't need any special treatment. I don't need like my own reserved block. I would love to be able to afford my house again. But like, I just need you to not look at me crazy. Like, that's the main thing of like, just don't don't be like that. But um, no, the main thing to me, I think, is is the just that feeling. And the what I, I think Carl's point about like, the voices being unheard in some of the more structural changes in the neighborhood, I think is important. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I've, I've never attended a block association <laughs> meeting. I didn't even know if there ever were any community meetings. I, I, I don't know. I know my parents didn't go, but that kind of involvement, especially of the people like, please look to the people who have lived there for input on these things, because it will decrease the feelings of resentment. You know, yeah. like if I feel like and not to say that some of the changes haven't been for the good of the neighborhood, but like at least if you had asked me, I might have had the opportunity to say, like, right. yes, let's do this. And I wouldn't feel so caught off guard that you went and, you know, put a street light at the end of South Portland. Like, yeah. we never did that before. <laughs> exactly. You just ran the stop sign. That's what you did. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, that's the only thing that I would the trickle down, the inclusion of people who have lived there and also just like push the effects and the new money in the neighborhood into the schools. Mm -hmm.